by the way, it's Maggie Moore's birthday. So we got to say, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Dear Maggie, happy birthday to you. She is awesome, is she not? She's awesome. Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. It is great to be with you. I missed you last week. Uh, When I'm not with you, I always do. I'm always glad to be back. I love worshiping God with you. I'm so grateful for you. I, I just thought you sang better today than I've ever heard you. I mean, I just love hearing you sing praises to our great God. I want to thank Jared. Uh, he was fantastic last week. I was able to hear his sermon as we closed up our series on worth. And I got away. God called me away like he does uh, to prepare for the next sermon series that you're about to hear. Uh, literally called me to a mountain. Uh, I'm a boy born and raised in upstate New York. I usually, when I feel God calling me, uh, especially in February, want to go find mountains and snow. And and I did. And uh, we are going to be looking at who Jesus is. Jesus in his own words. And so we're going to begin in the Gospel of John, actually for the next seven weeks. But we're going to start in Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to two different locations, Exodus chapter 3. And also John chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles, you'll see that they are uh, listed for you. The words are going to be listed for you in the bulletin and on the screen. For over 2,000 years, the question has been repeatedly asked. And the answer has been hotly debated. Of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I mean, who is the real Jesus? Books have been written. Theologians have debated from all walks of life, all across this world. Again, the question has been asked and the answer has been hotly disputed. Who's Jesus? Who is he really? You see, the answer that you have for that question of who Jesus is will greatly affect the way you live your life. And the way you answer that question will not only affect the way you live your life, it'll affect the way that you pass into death. Who is this Jesus? It's a question that Jesus himself was asked in the Gospel of John. He's asked in that a couple times in chapter 8. And he's interestingly, he's asked by the religious people. One time they ask, they say, well, well, who are you? Who are you, this Jesus? And then later, we're going to see in the text, they say this. Who do you think you are? Who do you make yourself out to be? I mean, he's in the midst of a a hot debate, and we're going to let Jesus answer. For this week and the next several weeks, as we look into the great I am's, when Jesus says, I am, and he describes who he is, we're going to let him speak for himself, Jesus in his own words, answering that question. And it's going to be astonishing. It's going to be incredible how he answers. You'll be familiar with some of the I am's, like I am the bread of life. We'll look at that next week. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. And the answers cause quite a stir. But we see that God reveals who he is. And Jesus in God reveals who he is in the gospel of John. But goes way beyond the gospel of John. If you really want to know who Jesus is. If you really want an answer to the question. Who are you and who do you make yourself out to be? you got to look at the entire Bible. 
Because Jesus is not just the story of the New Testament, and he's not just the story of the Gospel of John. Jesus actually is the story of the Bible. He's the hero. He's the king. He's the one promised and the one we long for. If you want to know the character of God, if you want to see the face of God, you have to look at who God describes him to be in the face of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, a very bright Englishman living in the 20th century, um, really known for his literary skills and his writing. C.S. Lewis was at one time an atheist, and yet he came by God's grace to belief in, in Christ Jesus. And he says this about who Jesus is. He answers it this way in Mere Christianity. He said, Jesus is one of three things. Jesus is a lunatic, Jesus is a liar, or Jesus is Lord. And it's interesting, I think he just nailed it. A lunatic, liar, or Lord. Because when you look in the Bible, you'll find stories of who Jesus is, and you'll find people who say, that's a lunatic, or demon-possessed. People will say, you're a liar. And there's many who would say, even many in this room, who even today will bow a knee and say, no, no, he's no lunatic. He's no liar. Jesus is Lord. And he is my Lord. That's what the Gospel of John is going to point us to, but the entire Bible. You see, the story of Jesus doesn't begin in Bethlehem. The story of Jesus begins much earlier. Or when you think about the story of Jesus beginning, it really doesn't even have a beginning. We'll see how in a few moments. But the story begins to be told in the first pages of the Bible. So we're going to focus in on the IMs of John. But let me give you the backdrop. Let me, let me give you a, a kind of the flashback so you can understand the context of the story. If you're in a movie and you're trying to figure out where it is, oftentimes a, a flashback or in a story will help set the context of what you're about to hear. Let me do that for you. We're going to look at the book of Exodus. It's an incredible story we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3. The God of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, he describes himself as the God of a man of faith named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this God of the Bible, he's a covenant God, which means this, that he enters into relationship with us. He's the one who always initiates relationship. And he's such a loving God that he he enters into relationship with those who are his own. He says, I'm going to be your God, and, and you're going to be my people. Well, he shows up one day to a man named Moses, a pretty amazing man, a man that, that he's going to raise up as the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Let me tell you what the Bible says about Moses. He talked face to face with God. I don't even know what that looks like. I'm not even sure exactly what that means. But he had a relationship with God. It was so near, so dear that they talked face to face. And, and matter of fact, Moses' face would actually glow because of that reality. God called him his friend. Isn't that a great title? The friend of God, Moses. Well, Moses meets his God on a mountain called the mountain of God or Horeb. And the way he meets God, it's an amazing story. He meets him in a burning bush. He sees a bush, it's on fire. And although it's on fire, it's not being consumed. He goes over to check out this marvelous thing and God speaks to him through the fire. As a matter of fact, he says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing in my presence. You're on very holy ground. God chose to speak to a lowly shepherd 
who had a really unusual birth. And by the way, if you follow the story of the Bible, he really is fond of lowly shepherds with unusual births. Plug in Jesus. But he talks to Moses, this lowly shepherd with an unusual birth. He says, okay, Moses, I got a job for you. I got a mission for you. I'm going to send you back to Egypt and I'm going to use you to set my people free. I'm going to use you to go back to the most powerful man at the time and the most powerful land, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And I want you to tell him that he has to let my people go. You see, God's people, according to the story of the Bible, they've been in slavery. They've been enslaved there. You ready for this? They've been enslaved there for 400 years. But the Bible says this about our God. He says he heard their cries. He says that he sees their pain. Let's hit pause. Don't you love that about the God of the Bible? Do you hear what it just said? He hears your cries. He sees your pain. But some of you are saying, but wait a minute. He waited 400 years to do it. And I don't know why. God's timing is not our timing. And I'm sure some of you are sitting here today saying, God, do you hear me? God, do you see me? God, do you really know? And our God is a God who does hear and a God who does feel and a God who does see and a God who sends those to rescue. So he sent Moses. He says, Moses, go and tell uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses did what I would do, starts listening to the excuses. Yo, uh, God, you know, uh, I, I don't talk really well. I kind of stutter. I'm not your guy. Send somebody else. Please, Lord, send somebody else. And he goes through all these excuses. Why don't I? Because Moses was afraid. Wouldn't you be? Moses felt insignificant, wouldn't you? And God says, no, I'm going to send you. And so Moses asks a great question. He says, okay, when I go to Pharaoh and when I show up to your people, what name should I give them of the God who is sending me? What name, what, what is your unique name that I could give to them? Well, that's where the story, if it was a backdrop, fades back into the modern story or the, or the time of the Bible of, of uh, John chapter eight. And if now we fade back into that story, we would hear arguing. The voices would be loud and the voices would be angry. And they'd be loud and angry because of who Jesus was claiming to be. As a matter of fact, when they ask, who do you think they are? Jesus would answer with words that would make them want to kill him. Let's look at the story. Exodus 3. Exodus 3, verses 13 through 15. And then John 8. Hear the word of the Lord, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New. This is one story of God inspired by the Holy Spirit that will never lead us astray. God's word tells us, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let's pick up the argument in the story in John chapter 8. John 8 verse 48 is where we're going to pick it up. 
And the Jews answered him, Jesus, and said, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan, a a half-breed, and that you have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you, you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who, who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Let's hit stop. We're going to talk about this in the sermon. But it's been 2,000 plus years since Jesus walked the earth. And it was about that same time, 2,000 plus years, since Abraham walked the earth before Jesus. So they were saying, he saw your day? So the Jews said to him, again, this is crazy. Jesus said to them in verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let us pray. My Father God, as we gather in your presence today, we ask that we would hear the voice of your Son, Jesus in his own words. Jesus, would you be pleased to come by the power of your Spirit and and speak through a broken sinner like me so that we could hear your voice, so that we can understand your words? Would you give us ears to hear the one who is the great I am. Would you give us minds to understand what does this mean? There was great confusion in your day, Jesus. The religious people just couldn't get it. Would you, by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, give us minds, each one of us, to understand the significance of what this means. God, only you could give us hearts to embrace your truth. Would you do that for each and every one of us? We all come with doubts. We all come with questions. We all want to have the answer of who is this Jesus? God, would you give us hearts that are filled with your love and your truth? And God, would you be with your people in such a way that you give us feet that walk in a manner worthy of your name? The things that I say that aren't your words, Jesus, the things that I say that don't contain your truth, well, may those words quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like Father, your Son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless 
and glorious name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you're going to find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing that we're going to see is, I am. Jesus says, I am the one who is God Almighty. I am the one who is God Almighty. Yesterday, I had the privilege of doing something I just absolutely love. I've done it before. I had the privilege of saying a few words uh, to kick off the new year in Maitland Little League. And they also asked me to give the invocation. And years past, they've had guys like Reggie Jackson and other sports figures. This year, they had Jeff Jakes, right? But really, it wasn't so much about the words I was going to say. And believe me, I didn't talk anything about my baseball career. We just didn't have time. (laughs) But the controversy was a little bit around the prayer because in Maitland Little League, uh, there was a controversy that's been brewing because some of the coaches have been criticized because they were praying with their players and some of them were praying in Jesus' name. And that was offensive to some. And some didn't like it. And now all of a sudden, the Orangewood pastor is going to stand up and he's going to give the opening prayer and a few talks. And there was going to be controversy of praying in Jesus' name. You see, when you claim the name of Jesus as divine, when you associate Jesus with God, when you say that there is one named Jesus who is eternal God, there is controversy. There always has been, and there always will be. Why did the religious leaders pick up stones to throw at Jesus? Why was this a capital offense? I mean, all he says is, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, so what is so crazy about that? It sounds kind of loony. To the point where they wanted to kill him and kill him immediately. Do you stone a lunatic? Well, you see, even in our own society, if, uh, if you're insane, you know, you could plead insanity. You know, stone lunatics. Why did they do it? You ready for this? Because Jesus claimed to be Lord. Jesus claimed the name and I am of God Almighty. Jesus was claiming the name that is above any name. And this, this name to the, to the Israelites, to the, to the Hebrew nation was so holy that they'd sometimes go around it and say, Adonai, Lord, because it was so holy, they don't want to say it. And now Jesus is saying, I am the very name of God. In Exodus 6, 2 and 3, he says, I am the God Almighty. That's why they were so upset. Jesus was claiming to be God in the flesh. Jesus was claiming to be God Almighty. You know, it's interesting because some liberal theologians and some folks will say, well, Jesus didn't even really know who he was. I mean, Jesus wandered the earth. He did some really good things. He talked about some amazing things. But you know what? They wound up killing him and he, he, he died a death in defeat. That's not true. Jesus always knew who he was. Jesus knew his unique character of fully God and fully man. Jesus knew who he was, and he was toe-to-toe with the religious leaders. And when he said, before Abraham was, I am, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was claiming. And that was so crazy to them, they wanted to kill him. What was he saying? He was saying these things. 
that he is eternal God. That although they say, you're not even 50 years old, what are you talking about, you've seen Abraham? It's beyond Abraham. I am. He's basically saying, I always have been. I am eternal. Let's look to the beginning of the Gospel of John. The beginning of the Gospel of John sounds very similar to the beginning of of Genesis in the Bible. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is... This is the language of creation. This is the language of the beginning. And it's basically saying this word is eternal. He's always been with God. Well, who is this word? In verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw the glory of God in the Son. Jesus is saying to us in the great I am that I'm eternal God. I always have been. Not only eternal God, but creator God. Jesus is claiming that that all things were created through him. What's the story of the Bible? How, how did God create all things? How did he create the heaven and the earth? You remember? What did he use? His word. His word he spoke. What a powerful God. Can you imagine the word of God speaking and the galaxies coming into existence? The word of God speaking and the planet starts spinning and all things are being created because that is the powerful God. And here is Jesus who's saying, that's me. I'm the eternal God. I am the creator God. But there's more than that. When he says I am, he's saying this. I am the ever-present God. I am with you and I always will be with you. Let's go back to the scene of Moses. Moses is giving the greatest commission that he could ever give. Okay, 80-year-old shepherd boy who's afraid. I'm going to send you back to the most powerful man in the world. How would you feel? I'm going to send you back and I'm going to have you battle with Pharaoh. And by the way, I'm going to harden his heart. It's going to be a real epic battle, but I'm going to win. He's like, I don't want to go. I'm afraid. So what does he tell him with his name? I am. You know what he was telling him? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. There's not one moment. There's not one time that you may not sense that I'm there. You may not know that I am there, but I am. I am. I am forever with you. I am forever present There's not one valley. There's not one struggle. There's not one mountaintop. There's not one experience in your life that God doesn't say to Moses and say to us, I am. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I am. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's why the prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus when he comes, this great I am. He's going to be called Emmanuel. He's going to be a God who is with us. This is why Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when he is commissioning, the great commissioning his disciples to go and make disciples and teaching in his triune name, he says, but I'm going to be with you to the ends of the earth. I will be with you. Why? Because I am. Jesus is always with us in spirit. Let's put this in the shoe leather. What are you going through? What are you struggling with? What in your life is just bottomed out? God wants to whisper into your ears and proclaim on mountaintops that Jesus is the great I am. You will not go alone. You will never be alone. He hears your cries. He sees your pain. He knows your sorrow. 
He's with you. He is the great I am. And what is he saying? He's saying it to Moses. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about tomorrow. Don't be afraid of what's on your schedule. Don't be afraid of the mountains that are in front of you. Don't be afraid because why? God is I am. And he is all powerful. Not only is he ever present. You ready for this? When he says I am, he's saying I'm never changing. I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I'm eternal. The writer of Hebrews in 13.8 says this about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We would sing the song, there's no shadow of turning with Jesus. We could trust him. Here's what it means. He's not going to change his mind about you. He's not. The God who has lavished grace on you, the, the son who's come to rescue you, no matter where you are or what you've done, he's not going to one day find you, wake up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of sick of them. Kind of over that. I, I, I've spent a lot of time, I'm, I'm, I'm done. This never-changing God who gives us his righteousness. Think, think about this now. If God is never changing and Jesus is our Savior and his righteousness clothes us, will God ever change his mind about us? Will God ever stop loving us? Will we ever stop being who we are as his beloved children? He's never changing. The writer of Revelation, Revelation 1.8, says this about Jesus. This is John actually wrote this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is Jesus when he claims the I am. I've always been. I am now and I forever will be. God won't change his mind about us. You know, I love the Hebrew there when, when it was given to Moses, his name, I am who I am. The tense is kind of hard to read. It also could be translated rightly, I will be who I will be. And you have a God, listen, this is the God who wants to come alongside of us as Emmanuel. This is Jesus who claims this very title of Lord Almighty, who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's not one thing you're going to go through in life that I'm not there. I am. Not only is he the Lord Almighty, he's secondly, he's I am the one who sets you free. What's the context of Exodus chapter 3? The context of Exodus 3 is that, that God is going to do a mighty work and he's going to set his people free from slavery. And he's going to lead them through the wilderness to the promised land. It's, it's the pinnacle story of the Old Testament. But when you read the entire Bible, you start to see this is a true great story. But it's only a shadow of a greater story. It's really only pointing to the fact that God himself will come and he will lead his people out of slavery of sin and death and he will lead them through the wilderness of our lives right now and he will lead us to the promised land. That's the story of the Bible. It's an incredible story. And God is the one in that context where, where he is saying uh, in John chapter 8, and part of the debate, and like verses 31 and following, if you have your Bibles open there, Jesus is saying to them, hey, listen, I've come to set you free. And they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We're not, we're not slaves in Egypt, although they were slaves to Rome. What are you talking about? And Jesus says this, if, if you have sinned, you are a slave to sin. If you have sinned, you can never stop sinning until the sun sets you free. And I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come for the broken to bind them up. I've come for sinners because I'm a friend of sinners. And Jesus says, I am the great I am. And listen to the words of John 8, 36. Whom the Son sets free 
is free indeed. Did you hear those words? Whom the Son sets free through his life, death, and resurrection by God's grace is free indeed. We might want to ask, free from what? Free from what? You're free from the the power of sin. You now have the ability by God's grace and a new nature to live for God. But you're also freed from the penalty of sin. Here's what it means, this great I am who wore our sins on the cross. There's never one sin that will ever condemn us. You know how great news this is? There's nothing you have done. There's nothing you're doing. There's nothing you will do that will separate you from the love of God. We're free. The law of God has been fully met in the life of Christ Jesus. The death we deserve has been fully paid. The wrath of God has been fully poured out. Those in Christ Jesus are free indeed. And that is such good news. But not just that. I think that what he was saying to us is we're free to live as God has created us to live. God created you for himself, not to worship, or for himself, not for yourself. God created us to know and love and worship him and not just ourselves. He set us free to love and serve our neighbors. And in the book of Galatians, Paul writes, don't use your freedom to serve yourself. You've been set free to know and love God and to serve your neighbors. What an incredible blessing that God has poured into our lives. Have you been set free? Do you know the joy? The great I am has come. Have you been declared not guilty? Does that not change everything? Does that make you not want to live for him? I mean, I'm telling you what, Presbyterians want to dance when we get this. We want to shout for joy. That the great I am has come. He's mighty God. He's come to set you free. But there's more than that. I am the one who gives you eternal life. I wish I could have been there watching this scene. I mean, this is an incredible scene because this isn't not like a little bit of a debate. I mean, this is not, this is like the debates are getting more and more heated politically, you know, it's getting closer and, and everybody's getting more and more nasty, it seems like, and, and it's like desperation. Well, this is a very heated debate. They're calling each other liars, <laughs> They're calling them demon-possessed. I mean, Jesus is going toe-to-toe with the religious folks. He's looking them in the eye and says, listen, you don't know God the Father. I know him. If you knew God the Father, you would love me. Abraham knew God the Father, and he couldn't wait for me to come. He loved me. You are a liar. You are of your father, the devil. They're like, are you kidding me? You're the devil. I mean, so here they go, toe-to-toe. Uh, and don't forget, the religious people, hit pause. Don't you love that about Jesus? The hardest time he gave was with people who thought that they could be righteous apart from God. The people he had the hardest time with were, were the religious snoots that thought a large, long prayer and, and a way that they sat in a synagogue set them free. They thought they were right because they were born and they were circumcised into a certain race. And here they are, toe to toe. And Jesus says this to them <laughs> Keep my words. Or believe in me. Keep my words. Believe that I am not a lunatic or a liar. I'm Lord. And you won't taste death. You'll pass into eternal life. Okay, Jesus is in argument with me. He said, by the way, if you believe me, and if you believe my words, you're not going to die. You're going to have death is going to be transformed into life. And here's what they responded. What's the matter with you? All the great ones died. 
Abraham was great. He's dead. Isaac, great, dead. Jacob, dead. Prophets, dead. You're going to tell us that if we keep your word, somehow life will reign? He says, yes. As a matter of fact, he says something incredible to them. He said, Abraham, he's not dead. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not dead. They're alive in me. He said, Jacob, he said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. That's not troubling, is it? 2,000 years before Jesus, how do you see his day? Is this like a back to the future moment? Is this like a transport through time moment? How did Abraham see Jesus's day? The same way you and I do. The story of Abraham is amazing. He's a man of faith. We pick up the story in Genesis 12 um, through about 22. But what, what God did with Abraham is this. God came to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and they had no children. And God started pouring out these ridiculous promises. God's like, Abraham, man, you're my man. And I'm going to be your God. And I'm going to bless you. And the entire world's going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham, coming from you is going to be a seed. And the seed that comes from you, Abraham, is going to bring life to the entire world. Through you, Abraham, the world will be changed through you. And he's like an old man with an old wife. I'm sorry. And he's like, Really? But incredibly, by God's grace, he believed. It says in, in Genesis fifteen six that Abraham believed the promise of God that he would send a Savior, a Messiah, a seed. And because of that belief, ready for this? Y'all see this. God declared him righteous. Abraham wasn't righteous because he was a religious man. Abraham wasn't uh, righteous because of the things he did. Abraham was declared righteous because he believed that God would send a savior to come and rescue the world. Do you know what this says? Abraham saved the same way you and I are saved. He's saved by belief, by God's grace and faith. So are we. We know that the seed was to come is named Jesus. We know in the fullness of time, Mary gave birth And we know that God's son appeared. And we too were declared righteous, just like Abraham, by God's grace through faith in this seed. How did Abraham see Jesus' day? He saw it by faith. He saw it by faith that God would come through with his promises. And God would set us free and give us life and life eternally. Do you believe that as well? See, when it says... When Jesus says, if you believe, if you keep my word, you're not going to taste death. Well, how can he say that? Because Jesus himself will taste death. Listen, he will not only taste death, he'll taste hell. He'll have the separation of God the Father on the cross. He'll say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why God forsook his only begotten son? Because our sin was hanging on him. And the reproach and all, all, all the grossness of our brokenness was hanging on him. The Father couldn't look anymore. But he experienced that hell so we could know that heaven and the life of bringing us near. Jesus tastes death, right, for this, so we could taste life. Jesus tastes death so we could have life and life eternally and abundantly. He rose from the dead to triumph over God's and our greatest enemy, death itself. When Jesus says, I am the great I am, he said so much. The question is, what is your response? The religious leaders heard him rightly. They knew what he was saying. That's why they wanted to kill him. When he was claiming, I am, he was claiming that he was God Almighty. 
To, to them, he was worse than a lunatic. He was a heretic. To them, he was worse than a liar. He was a blasphemer. And Jesus claimed the name of God. And he deserved to die in their eyes. So how is it with you? If Jesus is a lunatic, run from him. Lunatics aren't safe. Every day we hear of a lunatic who, who has a gun or does something stupid. Run from lunatics. If Jesus is a liar, don't listen to him. He's not a good man. He can't be trusted. But if Jesus is who he said he is, the great I am, the eternal, ever-present God who will never change, the Savior of the world, God's only begotten Son, bow to him. He's not your counselor. He's your Savior. He's not your, just your companion. He's your King. And by God's grace, we don't pick up stones. We, we bow our lives and say, Jesus, to you and to you alone, you are mighty God. You and you alone are Savior, ruler, maker of heaven and earth, and my Savior. Who do you say he is? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you would love sinners enough to send your own son, the word of God in flesh, to come and to speak for himself. And the scary thing is, is the ones who didn't see you rightly were the ones who thought that they were religious. They thought they deserved something because of maybe a circumcision or a religious ceremony. And Jesus, yet you came to seek and to save sinners. You came to give life and life abundantly. You came to become our sin so that we could become your righteousness. You've come and you've tasted death so that we could taste life. You've come and you've made those who were by nature children of wrath and by nature far away from you. And you have brought us near. And you have made us your own. You've cleansed us. You've, you've given us life. You love us and you'll never stop loving us. You will never change your mind about us. You will forever be with us as the great I am. This is who you are, Jesus. And what a privilege is ours to bow our knee to you because your word tells us that, Father, you gave Jesus the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, and that someday and sometime every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the reality that Jesus is Lord. And you've given us by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to those who are your children today to be able to confess the reality that Jesus is no lunatic, that Jesus is no liar, that Jesus is the great I am. God Almighty in flesh, my Savior. Father, if there's a heart here who doesn't believe that, may today be the day that your grace, that they will see you rightly. And for those of us, by your grace, who know this reality, our lives need to be forever changed because we're free and make us fruitful. We pray in Christ's name, amen.